One of the lovely things that I experience uh, when I preach is that I get to spend an opportunity, I get the opportunity to spend hours in a very small part of scripture. Sometimes that scripture is really well known to the point where it seems almost over familiar. But when I have that opportunity to dwell on it, all of a sudden I find those words come alive like a summer's day. They almost begin to buzz. And the words that I'm going to preach on today are words that we all know incredibly well. But I hope that you will also see them come alive just as much as I have while I've been preparing this. And today, as we come into January and that month of prayer, we're going to spend the time looking at the Lord's Prayer. And there are six key points that I'd like to cover today. These are, first of all, why is the Lord's Prayer so important? Then look at our Father in heaven, the first three petitions, these big ones, and then the second three petitions, slightly smaller ones. Um, And then just to have two key take-homes. The first one is keep praying those small ones, and also second, don't forget the big ones. So let's just jump straight in there. And by the way, I'm very sorry, my screen, my PowerPoint presentation, I haven't done a very good job of it, so if you can't read it, my apologies. It doesn't look very good, um, the yellow against the black, so my apologies for that. But let's just jump straight in there. Why is the Lord's Prayer so important? Well, first of all, it's important because Jesus gives us instructions on how to pray. In verse 6-9, he says, this then is how you should pray. Pretty simple point. If God says we should do it, then we should do it. But I think there's a second part to this as well. I think the Lord's Prayer beautifully reflects life. So within the Lord's Prayer, there are these six petitions. We have these three large-scale petitions at the beginning, and then three small personal ones at the end. And I think there is meaning and message here. So let's just dwell on this for a moment, because to me, that reflects my life And probably yours. You see, in my life, there are those big moments. When I see God's hand at work, when a child is born, and the most magnificent birth we've just celebrated. When people become a Christian, when people get baptized. Or you see lives transformed by God's grace. Or I look out at that awesome scene carved out by God's hand in nature. I see the bigness of God. He is awesome. There are amazing things in the life that we lead. Three big petitions. But there are small and personal things in life as well that I need on a daily basis. I think we all need them. Our petition for health, for our daily bread, for forgiveness, for holiness. Life has big events and small events. And I think this is shown in this prayer I think Jesus wants us to pray like this because it reflects our lives. This prayer is about the big and the small. It reflects our lives and it's this way, it's this reason why the Lord's Prayer, I believe, has such enduring appeal and why it's so important. So two key points on this particular um, uh, part of the talk. It's important because the Lord's Prayer reflects life. And it's also the way that Jesus 
taught us to pray. Next point. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. This is the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. These are they're tender connotations. There's an, there's an intimacy here. He is the Father, the best we'll ever have. Just like I am on my children's side and I love them unconditionally, the Father loves me and he loves you unconditionally as well with all your quirks and foibles and oddball behaviors that you have. He's made you, you, and he's made me, me. He's on my side. Our Father. It's small, it's cozy, it's intimate. And yet then, we end up with this enormous statement at the end. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. In Luke 5, 34, it says, Don't take an oath on heaven, for it is the throne of God. Heaven is a place of such grandeur and power and amazing perfection that standing here on earth, we should be in awe and treat the place from where we stand with reverence and respect. Our Father, who is on our side, who loves us unconditionally, who lives in heaven, the most amazing and awesome place. Don't treat him lightly. He means business. Again, what we see, I think, just in this opening statement is that large and small, our Father in heaven. Okay, so let's move on to the three big petitions now. And let's start with the first one. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed, what, what does hallowed mean? It means to give honor, to greatly revere. Hallowed be your name. When Jesus prayed this, he didn't pray, you are hallowed. No, he prayed, hallowed be your name. Your name, it's, it's an odd thing to hallow in our Western eyes. But to a Jew, a person's name was far, was, was, wasn't just a way to identify them physically. Their name also reflected their nature. So remember, Jacob had his name changed to Israel, which means, um, uh, which means a man who wrestled with God, which is an apt name considering Jacob ended up spending a night wrestling with God. Now, how many of us here have had some amazing moments with God, but I've yet to meet a single person who's had a wrestling match with God? Jacob did. And because of that, he had his name changed to Israel because of this spiritual occurrence. Jews named God in a way that expressed God's nature and purpose. And the Jewish people had about 16 different names for God in Hebrew in the, and in the Old Testament. And each name reflected a different aspect of God's character. So God's names were considered by the Jews to be just as holy as God himself. In fact, God's name um, was so holy to the Jews that they never wrote it. His name, sorry, they didn't write his full name for fear of just bringing disrespect to it and to God. Some of the names that they had was Elohim, which means God. This name refers to God's incredible power and might. He is the one and only. Yahweh Nisi, 
which means the Lord is my banner. And this is the name of God that proclaims his protection, his leadership, his deliverance for his people. And Yahweh, which means the Lord. And to hallow the name of God that is so holy, that, that was to hold it in such awe that they were fearful to write it in full, meant that Jesus was saying in this opening petition that here I revere, I exalt, I stand in awe of your name. That in itself is so amazing that I approach it with such reverence. I'm even scared to write it. Hallowing God's name. But what does it mean to us? That was a really difficult question for me to ask myself. And I think I came up with three parts around what hallowing his name means to us. I think there's um, a, a point I'd like to make about language. I think there's a point about behavior. And I think there's a point about praise. So let's start with that point about language and hallowing God's name. When people take God's name in vain, how does it make you feel? We have small children pass through our house and they, they come in and they're using that horrible phrase, OMG. And Zoe and I respectfully ask those kids to stop it. It makes Zoe's and mine's skin crawl. Why? Because we revere his name. It's not to be taken lightly. I fear it. But the question is, how does it make you feel? The next point, around behavior. How, how does our behavior hallow his name? Do we accept God's name as Elohim, which means the one and only God, and yet find our jobs more attractive than serving the King of Kings? Or Yahweh Nissi, which means the Lord is my banner. He's my leader, and yet we struggle to forgive, and we harbor grudges against people. And the final, final point I'd just like to make about hallowing his name is around praise. Do we use God's name in our worship? How many of us really know his multiple biblical names? Do you know the 16 names that the Jews called God that showed all his aspects? I don't. But I do intend to learn them to help me to begin to hallow his name and I believe that that will help me in my prayer life because that's the way that Jesus told us to pray. I encourage us all to go away to learn God's biblical names and reflect on them. Hallowed be your name. Next point, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. You know, I love all scripture. I love all scripture, but for me, I have to confess, I have a really special love for the Song of Solomon and the amazing poetry between the king, the lover of my soul, and that poor shepherdess, which is me. And there we've got the poor shepherdess proclaiming the effects the king has in the land that she lives. And she writes these just wonderful words. And I'm, I think this is in um, Song of Solomon, chapter 2. It says, See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth, and the season of singing has come. The cooing of doves can be heard in our land. 
You know, this is the kingdom we desire as Christians, don't we? Where there is no tragedy. There are no winters in our lives. Where there is perfect love. And where the land that Christ, and, well, that Christ created is restored in an almost permanent spring. I want to be part of that kingdom. I would desire to see God's kingdom come where we are in that constant praise of our Lord, whose name is so awesome and held in such reverence that we are frightened to write it. And yet, we have the right to call him Abba, Father, the lover of my soul. Do you understand what God's kingdom looks like? The final petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I believe we really need to see God's will on earth at the moment, don't we? I believe we're a nation facing arguably one of the, the biggest constitutional crisis that I've certainly seen in my lifetime. Now, today, tonight, as we enter this month of prayer on the eve of this next week in Parliament, will you pray for the land, for our government? Because I think they really need it. I believe the power of prayer is far more powerful than any challenge we face as a nation right now. And how do I know it? Because we as a nation have faced a crisis before and we as a nation have prayed and we as a nation have had those prayers answered. You know, Gary and I were chatting and I was going through this sermon today and he reminded me of that story in Dunkirk. In in, in May 1940, German troops had the British troops encircled in Dunkirk and with that front, the battlefront diminishing quickly, The decision was taken to evacuate British troops immediately. And we know all about the flotillas that rescued thousands of troops. But what is less well known is the actions of the common people that were taken on the Sunday before the Dunkirk evacuations. On the Friday and Saturday, King George VI called the entire country to pray on Sunday the 26th of May 1940 and on that day churches were full as people came to pray do you know what happened three amazing things let's call them miracles happened first of all Hitler overruled his generals and told his armies to stop the march on Dunkirk and he did this partly because he arrogantly believed that he had superior air power, and he thought that air power was good enough to wipe out the British troops. Had he not done this, the casualties would have been far, far higher. Miracle one. Miracle two. On the night of the 26th, there was a huge storm over Flanders, and that allowed the many troops to escape towards Dunkirk and the coast. And miracle three, after the storm, the sea was so calm for three days that small boats could go in there and pick up 
the soldiers. I believe this happened because people were praying, on their knees praying for God's will to be done, for his mercy to be shown to humanity. I I passionately believe the time has come to be praying for this nation, that his will be done in it. This month, as we enter our month of prayer, will you pray for the nation? Will you pray that his will and not ours and not our politicians are done? And there ends the three big petitions. The three small petitions. Give us our day, our daily bread. For some, you know, give us our day, our bread, daily bread is really is what they pray. Father, give me food to eat. Give me warmth on those cold days. For me personally, it's actually, I look at this more as, Father, give me health. My body aches. I'm tired. Give me strength. The next one, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness of others, I think, is one of the hardest but most important things that we as Christians face. I'm not sure if I've told this story before. Some of you may have heard it, and forgive me if you've already heard it, but I'm going to tell it again. When I first became a Christian in North Sydney, there was a man in my Bible study group who had a son who had split up with his fiancée, and he wanted to bring closure to the whole episode. And so his son put the engagement ring that his fiancée had returned to him up for sale on eBay. Someone agreed to buy it, and the son... And the dad went to the seller to do a transaction for the ring. But it was an ambush. And just as the son pulled out the ring, the gang pulled out knives. And to the dad's horror, the son tried to fight. And in order to protect his son, the dad also jumped in. Well, the police turned up, the people arrested quickly. And the dad told me the story that he was in hospital and just before they were about to put him to sleep to operate on his stab wounds, he was told that his son was dead. I met that man a few years after and in the group, he came one night and asked for prayer because he struggled daily to forgive those who killed his son. Tears welled up in his eyes and he said, kind of a throwaway line that really has stuck with me for such a long time. He said, I know I must forgive them or they'll kill me eventually anyway. If he didn't forgive them, then that bitterness, that anger will eventually kill him. And if we don't forgive others like this man could so painfully see, then I believe this puts up a barrier for God to help us in turn. God doesn't want anything to stand between him and us. 1 John 4 says, if you hate your brother, then then the love of God is not in you. These are strong words, but they're God's breathed. And forgiveness of others and their wronging of us is something that we as Christians must face. The Bible is absolutely clear on this. I recognize these are strong words and cover a painful and difficult subject. You know, forgiveness of others is a hard and difficult thing to do 
And if you want to talk and pray, then we have people at the front. And myself or Gary and many others here would love to spend time with you. I know this is a difficult thing to hear, but it is a command. God may deal with you in this area in an instant and provide healing. But my experience with these types of issues is that we need to go on a journey, take a path. It takes time. Please don't bottle anger, anxiety up because you've not forgiven someone. There are Christian brothers and sisters who are willing to walk with you. And above all, we have a king of kings who is absolutely desperate to break through those chains that hold you. Come forward, take that first step after this service. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evils. You know, this prayer here is to keep us holy, keep us living a life that makes us different, that marks us special to him. There's three big petitions and three small petitions Three petitions about God's kingdom, his glory, his power. And three petitions about feeding us, forgiving us, keeping us holy. How do we apply this to our lives? Let's look at the take-homes. First take-home, keep praying the small stuff. Many of you would recently have received an email with the news that I've stepped down as a leader from this church and I've done this because whilst I recognize that I have a treasure inside me which is God's Holy Spirit and that's my reason for living I also recognize that I'm a jar of clay I break physically and mentally I get tired I'm no different than anyone else and I believe personally there's come a point in my life where God wants me to do less But by doing less, ironically, I spend more time with Christ. I recharge, I grow spiritually, and I remain healthy. Remember the story of Mary and Martha, where Jesus turns to Martha, who's running around the kitchen furiously, and says Mary has chosen what is best by simply sitting in Jesus' presence, rather than cooking that big meal. Well, and this is where I'm at, right here, right now in my life. More than ever, as my bones begin to ache, I recognize the need to be praying for bread on a daily basis. My bread, as I've mentioned before, is my health. And a few months ago, I'd realized I'd come to a point where I put put myself on a path where I was beginning to neglect these small, these intimate petitions. And business or stress was beginning to take over. I corrected that path, and I corrected that quickly. But there have been times when I've neglected these small petitions for my health, for my forgiveness and my holiness for longer periods, and I've been poorer for it. I passionately believe that we as Christians must be doing this on a daily basis. If we are serious about serving the King of Kings with our lives, then we need to be going to him for forgiveness recognizing that health and food and warmth comes from him. And it's he who makes us holy. But critically, and this is really, really important, prayer takes time. And if you don't have time to pray, then make it. Give stuff up. 
Rest in God. Go back to the small, that intimate relationship that God the Father so desires to have with us. We need to be asking for forgiveness to keep us healthy, warm, fed, and holy. We have treasure inside us as God's Holy Spirit, but our bodies are clay. They break. They need rest. We need forgiveness. We need our daily bread. We need holiness. Never forget those small petitions. First take home, never forget the small petitions. But the second take home, don't neglect the big petitions. I have a photograph here that I want to share with you. I'm sorry, Zoe, I didn't actually tell you that I was putting this photograph up. Um, Zoe and I and the kids were in Vietnam for a holiday um, at the time. And I I actually think this is a great picture um, because I think it shows what sometimes happens in our prayer lives. You know, I've always been a sucker for vistas, um, and it's always been a great despondency of my children and Zoe when I've suggested a walk up a mountain. Uh, and to get these, I've always been a sucker for vistas, as I've said, and to get this wonderful view over the limestone cast that you can see here in the Tamcock River, we needed to climb about 500 steps in 35 degree heat. I remember I carried Noah to the top, so he's looking relatively good there. Um, I have to say, I felt like my heart was about to leap out of its socket and fall on the ground. And if you look in the picture, everyone else looks pretty much the same way. They're resting, partly to get their breath back, probably partly to scowl at me. And the thing is, you know, the reward for climbing up that hill, that jaw-dropping view, was hidden to them by a wall. And all they needed to do was stand up. I think this photo shows that they had a focus on their discomfort, their tiredness, and not the awesome view. There they were. They'd done the hard grafting to see this beautiful view. And all they needed to do was stand up. But they had a focus on their bodies. And at the point of this photograph being taken, they'd missed out seeing the vista created by God's hand. How often have we spent time in prayer and spent time praying for our bread, for forgiveness, for holiness, but then not broken through to those three big petitions? And, and the joy, I personally, my personal experience, but I, I believe this is the same for everyone, the joy we receive when we break into those three big petitions is awesome. I get the sense of God, his creativity, his awesome power and his plan for my life. There is a joy that I experience when I break through and hallow his name and praise that his kingdom come. I look at this picture and I think this is a great illustration of my prayer life, how easy it is to keep our heads bowed, focused on the small stuff. You know, when was the last time you spent time standing, sitting, perhaps even lying on your back prostate and meditating on the awesomeness of God, hallowing his name. I encourage you to pick up the Psalms and read them. I encourage you to Google the names of God in the Old Testament and dwell on them. Read the Song of Songs and recognize what a totally awesome and passionate lover of our souls we have. Many times we enter a prayer time, be them personal or corporate, and we commit faithfully what is happening in our lives 
and the lives of others and we commit them to God. We jump to the small things. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us, Father. Help me in this. Help me in that. And that's all great stuff and completely biblical and correct. But Jesus taught us to meditate on the big stuff as well. And when we're pressed for time, I worry that, and I know for myself, I tend to go to the urgent stuff and not consider what God has done or will do. And what I say is shown clearly in the Bible as well. Almost all the great prayers, when people are in trouble, start with praise. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is when Mary is being visited by the angel and she's told she's having a baby and she's going to be taking a path that to all extent and purposes will lead to disgrace in human eyes. And what does she pray first? I think some of the most wonderful words of praise from someone in need. What does she say? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in Christ my saviour. She starts with the praise even in the dark hour. And when I was preparing the sermon, I was listening to a sermon by John Piper about the Lord's Prayer and he says he finds it easy to spend time with God when it's not just about reading the Bible and then prayer as a single cycle. He does this dynamically, continually. He, he's reading and he prays. He uses the Bible as part of his prayer. He reads Psalms and the prayers of Jesus and Paul and he uses them in his praise, meditating on them, spending time with God on them and reading some more. It's dynamic. It's like a conversation. So how do we do this practically? How do we do this practically? Well, I believe we should never have the Bible too far away in our times of prayer. And that means that means keep the Bible close or even memorize some scriptures. I think, you know, this month when we're together, if someone shares a Bible verse, then as a group, I encourage us all to dwell on it. Thank that person, encourage them. Pray those words of scriptures that someone has shared. Let's use God's words in his book as part of our big prayers. So how to finish? I'm going to finish with a verse that's nothing to do with the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to finish with 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And it's a verse that I've alluded to before. And I think it sums up what I see in the Lord's Prayer right here and right now. And that verse says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, we as, as Christians have God living inside us. It's the treasure. And it's kept in a vessel that breaks, that's refined through fire, that chips as it goes through life, that breaks if it's not handled with care. And whilst it's absolutely right to have a focus on that clay vessel, our forgiveness, our bread, our holiness... It's also critical to remember that, you know, we are these vessels that carry a treasure, and that's our purpose. Our purpose is to carry God's message as a treasure. 
I feel challenged, and I hope you do, as we come into this time of prayer over January, that we do keep grounded on those small and intimate things, but that we break through to God's higher purpose. And we hallow the treasure we have inside, hallowing his name, desiring his kingdom to be shown here on earth and to see his kingdom come. A world where many sons and daughters come to know him personally as their king and as their savior. And asking him what he wants from us as his children. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray... I pray that you you give us food and warmth and health enough that you forgive us and that you make us holy and prepared for the work and plans that you have for us to do. Lord, we acknowledge that you live inside us as a treasure. Father, let us praise your name. Help us to desire to see your will be done, to see your kingdom come and your kingdom expanded. Father God, help us to recognize the way you want us to pray. I really pray that our prayer life is used to transform us for your glory as we meet over the next month and for the rest of our lives. Amen.